0: spike the canon in music and movies. In each episode, we will offer up replacements for each title in the top 100 of a well-known, well-regarded ranking, and we'll walk away with a pair of subtitles, which we think deserve more acclaim and to which attention must be paid. I'm Matt, and I'm replacing the top 100 entries on Spin Magazine's 2015 list of the top 300 albums from 1985 until 2015, starting with number one and working down.
1: And I'm Tim. I'm replacing the entries on the 2007 AFI 100 Years 100 Movies list, starting with number 100 and working up.
0: So here's how this works. Two of us have gone through each list, decided on a theme of the original entry, and have come up with a pair of potential replacement titles which share that theme. We'll talk about that original entry. Sometimes we'll regret that we have to get rid of it, and sometimes we'll rejoice in being able to drop it. But this podcast is not just another dissection of an outmoded list. In part one of this episode, I have two new albums to talk through, and Tim will make the choice for the Subtitles Albums list. Then in part two, Tim will have two new movies to discuss, and I will decide which of them deserves a place on the Subtitles Movies list. Sometimes I will have seen the movies, and sometimes Tim will have listened to the albums, but at the end of the day what matters is how well we've sold the titles. And at the end of some of those days, one of us will want to bop the other for that choice. And once we finish this off, we'll do some fun activities with the new lists we've collaborated on. But before we can get there, we have to do this. Today's title to be replaced is *Aquemini*, Outcasts' 1998 album. We put in that bit about... Uh, uh, what matters is how well we sell the titles, and I want to reveal to the listeners that I got Tim on the Mars Volta train, so I think I sold a title, and I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> uh, back to Outcast, though, which is the actual subject of today. Uh, let me start with this. This album's too low. Uh, I don't like that it's 21st. <laughs> it should be higher. To me, if I were making this list with the same parts, So just taking their top 100 and reorganizing. Um, There's a thought exercise, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm probably going to put Equimini second. I think I already reserved first for OK Computer back in that episode, but Equimini to me is at worst top five, almost certainly top three, probably second. Um, I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting on this list that'll make me regret that, but I I think this is a masterpiece. I think it's regularly regarded as such. It got a 5 in the source at the time, which in 98 was still a hell of a thing, especially for a Southern act. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, Outkast released albums in 94, 96, 98, and 2000, and general consensus is that Three of those are absolute classics, and one or two of them may be another masterpiece, depending on who you're talking to. And then Aquamanai is just a, an impeachable, unimpeachable masterpiece. Um, and I agree with that, that, that this is just light years ahead of... Uh, was happening around them in 1998. And there's a lot of interesting stuff, as we'll talk about in this episode, but Equemnon is on its whole whole own level, I think. Um, We're gonna talk about today, Southern rap in general. Uh, The South's got something to say, referencing Andre's uh, proclamation at the 1995 Source Awards, where they won, I think it's best new artist, or something to that effect. And get booed. Uh, the Source Awards held in New York and, uh, you know, East Coast, West Coast, still uh, very much a thing in 1995. And no one's ready for the Southern hip hop group to uh, to start making noise. So uh, they, they get booed, basically. And Andre kind of finishes that off with the South got something to say. That's all I have to say. <laughs> And this gets put into the final track on Equemini, then Chonky Fire, um, which is like something that could have been on like Funkadelic's Maggot Brain or like some hard funk album like that. Like, that's sort of what's going on in, in Chonky Fire, but they put the, um, the audio from that at the end of that, and I think it's. Uh, Just a a really good choice, it creates an extra arc to the album where it starts off um, Andre and Big Boy sort of ruminating on who they are, their legacy, their changes, Andre in particular, like this is when he's getting particularly eccentric for what we expect of hip-hop in the 90s, and a lot of the early songs are dealing with that, and you kind of can see through the album a transition away from, so Return of the Gangster is something that would have fit on Southern playlistic Cadillac music, um, or at least it fits that way. And Andre is very um, cognizant of a lot of the shade and criticism thrown at him and sort of shrugging it off. But you get kind of that move. You go through some of the, the poppier, catchier stuff. Rosa Parks is in that run. The title track is in that run. Skew it on the Barbie, which is just always fun. And has Raekwon on it, who is the only... I think, the only like non-Atlanta person. One of two, and the other one's from Texas. So this is very much a southern affair besides Raekwon. Um, and then at the end of the album really opens up into much more experimental um, stuff. It, not experimental in, in the genre way, but for what we might expect from a hip-hop album or from an OutKast album. Um, you're getting a lot more soul, a lot more blues, a lot more... Um, funk even like the george clinton effect george clinton shows up at one point um but like that the parliament funkadelic effect is evident um and it's not that they're aping that um but you can hear the influence in that and a lot of the reggae influence too and in, in a way a is sort of this um kind of geographically and also sonically this like midpoint between George Clinton and Bob Marley. Um, There's a lot of that heavy funk and blue stuff happening. There's a lot of reggae influence on here, Um, but it's never divorced from the hip hop that we know and love big boy and Andre four. But again, the end of that album opens up a lot. You get stuff like liberation, like Nathaniel, like chonky fire, um, that are just very different exercises from Return of the Gangster and that it returns at the end to that Source Awards moment, I think is one, it creates this nice circularity to the album, but two, it's also an incredible mic drop of like the South has something to say and here we just said it, um, that we can be more just more, uh more progressive, better, um, stronger hip hop than anything happening in New York. And in ninety eight they were. Know, I don't know who really our listenership is. I don't know their familiarity with Aquemini. I feel like Outcast is more or less a known thing at this point, but definitely more so for Stankonia, which is gonna come in two thousand, and then Speakerbox and the Love Below, where they become genuine pop phenomenons. Um, but they do on Stankonia too. I mean Miss Jackson So Fresh, So Clean and Bombs Over Baghdad are, are known quantities. Um, what are you looking up to? <laughs>
1: I was just seeing where the uh where the Outcast was on the on the list um because I went through again after after listening to Aquemini again because I was just sort of like thinking about my own again I I like Outcast I'm never I'm never good at listening to stuff over and over again but like I am generally familiar with their catalog and just sort of curious where stuff is and where stuff isn't and um I don't know just it's it's an interesting experiment because they are they are like such a such a symbolic group because they they really are standard bearers for that southern rap in a lot of ways and honestly I enjoy Outkast more than I enjoy just about any other like rappers rap group like they are they are a favorite to listen to um, I always have that sense of like you know when I don't know. This is going to be a stupid comparison even for me. But you know that part of, in, in Bear ne- not Bare Necessities, in the, the King Louie song in Jungle Book. Um, I want to be like you. Yeah, at the end when, when Baloo is just sort of like doing the music by himself and everybody else is looking at him like an idiot. That's what Outcast does to me. Like I'll just be sitting there like bopping and like sort of humming it. And I feel like it's been over for 15 minutes, but I'm still doing it. Like, to me, musically, that is their power. That's what's so fun about them. And it's interesting to see where other people, like, especially people who know stuff, I don't pretend to know stuff, but, like, where the where the experts put the other albums and and how that fits into how I, you know, bop like an idiot on my own time. Yeah, so on the spin list,
0: I'll say that we're going to encounter Stankonia. Soon. Eh, soon-ish. Um, it's still going to be a minute but it's not going to be... It's in the first half of the list. I, everyone can review this. Why am I hiding it? It's number 40, so we'll get to there soon. Um, and then there's not another outcast in the top 300, and I would like to say that... No! <laughs> I, I would like to say that AT Aliens at least deserves a spot there. Um, so whatever. I've been making you know my gripes clear with the spin list along the way. I didn't... <laughs> I'm putting too much focus on that. I appreciate this list in general, but I do think it's doing outcast pretty dirty. Um, yeah. Like Tim said, like this white man likes outcast. This is not a, a new thing here. Like I'm not staking new territory, but
1: this I is am just a stereotype. A, like,
0: this is just a really fun and interesting uh, group. And for me, they were one of, kind of the gateways into more hip-hop, especially hip-hop of that era and going into the 2000s. Like, Outkast is one of the first ones that I could latch on to and be like, okay, I don't understand it all, uh, and I never will because, you know, I, I, that's just not where I came from, especially Atlanta. Um but musically, this has me hooked, and I, and I want to know more. I want to see more around this. I want to experience um, more of what's happening. So Outcast to me, is kind of one of the gateways in that way, um, and just endlessly listenable. I go back to Aquamanai a lot. I go back to all their albums a lot. Um, I'm going to talk about this when I get to one of the sub uh, options. For anyone listening to this more than a couple of years younger than Tim and I, once there was a day where if you liked a song, maybe two songs if you were lucky, you heard two, maybe three in those rare moments, and then you went out and got a CD and just hoped that the rest of it was good. <laughs> and you paid 12, 15, 18 bucks for this thing. I sort of missed those days, but anyway, um, Stankonia was one of those for me, and that one worked out really well. And one of the sub. Options was another one of those purchases for me, or for my parents, I should say. Um, <laughs> this was still late '90s. I didn't have income, <laughs> um, and that one didn't work out well at the time. But with history, I I wish I had kept that CD. I don't think I have it anymore. No. But um, Tim, you live in Atlanta. What what's and you teach the the youth? How do they? see how do they react to outcast these days. I'm more interested in just kind of what their perception is at this point, because Aquamanai to me is just so great that like, I mean, I'll talk about it a little bit as a way of transition, but I don't want to take a bunch of time just fawning over it when other people have done that.
1: Well, I'll tell you a story about my first year or two of teaching, which at this point was a while ago. And, um, The kids were asking, like, what I listened to, and, like, at this stage, I was still trying to ingratiate myself slightly with people, so I would, like, tell them as opposed to just say, you've never heard of it, which is what I tell them now. And I was, like, telling them some stuff and and just sort of rattling bands off, and they're like, do you like any, like, rap or anything? I'm like, yeah, I enjoy OutKast a whole lot. And they said, OutKast? They're old. And this was, like almost 10 years ago so i don't know that this necessarily is the is the answer about their longevity with the youth of america that you might hope for um yeah there's a there's a i don't know you could probably say more about the evolution of the of the southern rap scene and especially in atlanta than i can but they they have their their sights set on on different people uh than than we might have like 20 years ago
0: Just put us in the grave now. That's all I hear. Um,
1: Time for the (laughs) urn.
0: Ouch. Um, (laughs) Southern hip-hop. So (laughs) Atlanta is the hub. They have been for the last 10, 15 years. Um, This is really the center of the the American hip-hop universe, I think still. Um, And that really became, like, now it's a lot, well, It transitioned into crunk and trap um a lot and i think that's a lot of the influence right now and that's sort of where i don't know new hip-hop as well as i do like let's say 94 to 2004 um but my impression is that kind of crunk and trap took over in the mid 2000s and that's sort of what made atlanta the true hub um but it was it was a scene that was building through the 90s and It was more of a, I don't mean this as like a qualitative thing at all in comparison, but more of a soulful and like philosophical thing in the 90s. Uh, You get groups like Arrested Development. Um, (laughs) Yes, kids, there's a show and a band called that, and you should check out both. Um, And of course, Outkast and the Dungeon family uh, at large. Organized Noise, the producing team, Goody Mob is in that, which is... If you don't know Goody Mob, but you do know CeeLo Green from either his Judging of the Voice or his uh, classic song, Fuck You. Um, he, he is in, was in, I don't know what Goody Mob is doing these days, but he was a member of that. Killer Mike eventually ends up in that, so you have this Dungeon dungeon family forming, and uh, mid to late 90s, early 2000s, they're really the force in Atlanta hip-hop. Um but I think at this moment, when Aquamanai comes out, Atlanta is more known for these uh, soulful, kind of philosophical things. Um, <clears throat> and Outcast initially is bringing that to this real street view. Um, uh, you know, growing up in the projects, living that life. Um, and then slowly, like never moving away from that, but slowly introducing more of these but right, the South has something to say. It's not just these hardcore street narratives. You can get that all over New York. You can get that all over Compton. All over uh, Oakland. Um, but there is something more. There's something different. Some, something funky. Um, and in Return of the Ga- Return of the G, actually, but Return of the Gangster, um, you get. Andre saying they want something time-traveling, rhyme javelin mind-unraveling, and I think that's just a perfect way to set up the whole album. And AT Aliens as well, that was kind of their sci-fi venture. Um, That's really a time-traveling and mind-unraveling one, but (laughs) throughout the album you get all of those things kind of coming together. There's a verse where Andre's talking to a fortune teller and riding the bus and just thinking about legacy and... One of the best one-liners i think that there is you focus on the past your ass will be a has uh it makes me giggle every time almost as much as pay your beeper bill pay your beeper bill bitch <laughs> um lots of great one-liners on here and you get like that sort of battle rap influence on these more mystical more spiritual more um alien for lack of a better word considerations and flourishes um, you know, I mentioned kind of the musical legacy early on. It's southern influence. I think it, it's call, it's the culmination of that 90s Atlanta scene and also this real point of influence for what makes Atlanta the center of the hip hop universe. Um, and I think it's outcast as being distinctly their own. and it's also the only, probably not the only but certainly the best harmonica solo in a hip hop song that i can think of with Rosa Parks <laughs> like, which i think is is Andre's babysitter if i read if i remember reading that yeah, correctly like i think he got his old babysitter to come and play harmonica something like that unbelievable um, or she sang on one of the songs she's involved somehow i forget exactly who plays the harmonica um but you get that and then you get these funk and reggae and horns and a whole bunch of slang. Um, there's a really cool analysis out there. Um, someone takes the first, I think it's 5,000 words of various rappers, um, discographies and, and I mean, it's a bot, but basically counts how many unique words are within that set and then kind of compare Shakespeare and Melville are on there. I forget if someone else is, but kind of compares that to big authors and just sees based on that early output, like the range of their vocabulary and not in a way that's like bigger vocabulary is inherently better. Like DMX's vocabulary is very low, but what he was trying to do, he's one of the best at. So like, it's not um, qualitative in that way, but just kind of see like, where different artists fit on this, and Outkast, <laughs> in particular, is one of the really hard ones to judge because they coin so many slang words and have so many different versions of the same words that they pronounce differently that the program has a hard time actually counting them. And it's like, they could be anywhere from X to Y. Um, but I think that's important, like, they're bringing their own vocabulary to this. Um, so there's that slang, there's a southern twang to all of it. Um, they're not shy about their accents, about their voices. Uh, there's gospel in this. There's the um, kind of chule of chonky fire. Um, this is a little bit of everything. It's a, it's a very expansive vision. But one that's steeped in Atlanta and storytelling of their observations of their growing up. Most of these are narrative songs about being in Atlanta, about seeing things there, about uh, stuff that happened to them, or observations. Um, <clears throat> something like Spody Odie, Dopealicious, which, as Tim said at the beginning of this when I was playing it, just catchy as all hell. Um, those horns are immortal, and that's why Beyonce has sampled them twice. But that's just two vision... Like In one song, this construction of an imaginary club and then two visions of happenings around that and how one night can change your whole life and within that you get these thoughts of uh, of violence of parenthood of drugs of poverty of uh, race relations of uh, cops and policing, like all of these things happen within this one vision, but it's set in Atlanta, but also set in this fictional outcast universe. Um, and you get that on so many of these songs. And that to me is why Aquemini is is so great. Not to mention that Dre and big boy are just two of the best. And this is them at their apex, really. Um, uh, anything you want to say about outcast before I move on?
1: Uh, I was thinking about the harmonica solo and, and, how that is, it's still such an unexpected moment after all of this time. Um, And, I don't know, just like musically, I I don't pretend to be able to like, relate to or understand all of the narrative stuff that goes on in this album, but musically speaking, there are things that they do that feel so adventurous and so exciting and so unexpected and on top of that just like so catchy and so addictive in their own little ways, like I don't know. It just it is it is exciting to listen to every time out, and if everybody, I think if everybody could do it, they would do it. You know, if everybody could come up with that harmonica bit in Rosa Parks like three minutes into that song, then they would have done it already. Uh-huh. And and no one else can is, and that's part of the reason I think that they are so special.
0: The horns and Spodey Ode. They. So catchy, so smooth and funky and syrupy all at the same time. And that song just has this amazing kind of dreamlike quality to it, Um, which fits perfectly with the narrative that they're telling. And Aquemini hits a similarly kind of mystic, dreamy thing, but has a colder tinge to it than Spodiodi's kind of warmer, uh, kind of nostalgia um, until the end where Big Boy... And I was reading something where this might be, like, the first popular usage of trap, as we know it, in terms of, like, in the traps in the ghetto, Um, which is interesting. I would have never thought that was the first, but uh, I think that just speaks more to this is a band of visionaries, Um, and and Aquamanai is sort of the the peak of that. Atlanta is not the only southern hip-hop locale, though. There were several. These include, I should mention, because they won't come up in the episode, uh, Miami, which is the one I know the least about, but I think um, was a very, as you might expect, kind of club oriented and like electro hip hop debauchery. Um, I'll put it that two live crew is from Miami, if I remember correctly. So that should tell you. Um, But it's a very club and electro oriented thing. Memphis, which has uh, Oscar winners 3 Six Mafia. And today we're going to talk about New Orleans and uh, Houston ish. Um, We'll talk about UGK first. They're from Port Arthur, I think, which is close enough to Houston. So we'll talk about the Houston scene. Um, And then about New Orleans with Juvenile and the Hot Boys and Cash Money Records. But let's start with UGK, and also mention uh, Ghetto Boys, who were from Houston and doing it a little bit earlier, slightly, um, and they're uh, you know a, a big presence in the scene as well, um, and in this Houston scene. That's kind of taking G Funk in a way, which is what uh, Dr. Dre is doing, which we're recording this. Not too long after he had a brain aneurysm, so let's hope he recovers. Um, I haven't heard anything new on that. <clears throat> um, but sort of takes that G Funk, really hard, deep sample mentality, live instrumentation over it. Um, these sort of, you know, chest thumping, hit the road, deep tunes and slows them down immensely. Um, and that's principle comes from DJ Screw, also of the Houston scene, and Chopped and Screwed, which maybe you've heard of, but it's basically taking those samples, putting live instrumentation over them, slowing them all the way down to like 60, 70 RPM, um, and creating these little like time gaps and disruptions and loops in there. um, So you get these samples that are hard and funky and then also just so deliberate and gappy in interesting places. Um, Chopped up, screwed. It's a fairly literal term, I think. And UGK is building on this, and in 1996, they released Ride and Dirty, which in retrospect, I think, is a very well-regarded album, and at the time did okay in terms of sales, in terms of recognition, but in 1996, um, right, this is still pre the Napster boom and everything, so... Uh, scenes and regions are very much a thing, especially in hip-hop, so um, it is an album that I think did much better in Texas, in the South, than it did anywhere else. Um, It's also not one that makes it onto the spin list, which I think is kind of sad, but um, I don't know. Maybe I'll write to whoever the editors were back in the day and see, why is this not on there? I think UGK is Pimp C and Bun B, and... If you don't really know them, you, you probably do if you remember Big Pimpin', uh, Jay-Z's what was that 99 or 2000 hit. Um, UGK shows up on that, basically steals it, and Jay-Z is going to come up again in this episode on a song he's the worst part of. And uh, UGK also half-responsible with OutKast for what should be our national anthem, but can never be, because it's an international anthem, and all people deserve it. <laughs> That, of course, would be the International Players Anthem.
1: Still waiting for my mashup of the Internationale and International Players Anthem, in which Marxism and lovers come together in a, in a beautiful, world-changing, life-saving phenomenon. That's, that's, that's my better world.
0: That's the best world. That song is just so fucking good. <laughs> Everyone ignore me for four minutes and go listen to that and then come back to me. <laughs> Um oh. okay, now that you've done that back to UGK and Riding and Dirty, um, I think pipsy somewhere describes them as country rap, which I don't totally know what that means. I would think that means Rosa Parks and that's not what ride and sounds like, but sure. Um, but I think uh, it's important that they're identifying as that and that they are, um, you know very much um, proud of there's their southern roots their Houston scene um, you know being from Texas and you get a lot of songs and verses that sort of place them within this larger scope of hip-hop um, uh, the, f- the first there's an intro as there were on most 90s um, <laughs> hip-hop albums but then in one day um, you get pimpsey I think it's in one day um, Kind of placing them within these larger scenes. So talking about the violence, especially in '96, again uh, of New York, of L.A., of Oakland, of um, talking about all these different important locales to hip hop, and then sort of placing them um, within this Houston and Texas scene, which is not nationally known yet, is still making a name for itself. Um, and in a way, the conceit of *Ride and Dirty*, I think, is to show that. Houston that Texas just as much as anywhere else has claim in hip hop um, and that the voices here are important that they have something to say and that there's a lot more similar than different between uh, what's happening here and what's happening everywhere else that the black experience of Port Arthur of Houston of Texas is just as significant to hip hop as the experience in New York, in California in Atlanta, in Memphis anywhere Um, to me that's a big part of the importance of this album, I think, and I think since so many of the verses are kind of placing within those larger geographical regions and comparing and contrasting Houston to those other places, um, I think that's on UGK's mind as well. Um, and that's an important thing to, to note that this, as much about anything is to show, as much as anything is to show, uh, we have something to say. And it's like, we share all of this that you do. We share the hardships, um, A lot of verses about drug dealing, about dealing with the cops and avoiding them, about friends going to jail, about just trying to avoid being incarcerated. Um, uh, One line, but I'm in the game, live by the game, and in the game I'm a die. Um, uh, Actually, that one continues. And if I die, or should I say, if I go, bury me uh, in harem Clark next to the come and go. Um, In the game, that is national to a lot of hip-hop artists but you know when I go bury me in this very specific location like this is where I'm from Um, this is where I will end this is where I rest Uh, so just like I don't want to say ideological but just kind of at a narrative level um, I think that's where ride and Dirty is operating Um, very much a look this is just as important what we have to say mode Um, and in 1996 that's particularly important because the east west coast thing is raging at that point um again musically this is very slow very syrupy g-funk um and i say syrup very deliberately because these beats unfold like you're pouring out syrup on your pancakes like it's very steady and you're just kind of watching it go and in your mind you're like maybe we should hurry up a little bit um and I'll admit, I have that reaction to some songs where it's just like, they feel so slow and so deliberate. It's like, I need this to go a pace faster. Um, of course, it never should. I'm wrong. No one should be listening to me there. The, like, that's part of the experience. And I think, um, you know, at a personal level, as a northerner who tried to live in the South for a while, that was one of my big things. Like, the speed is just not what I am used to. Um, so to me, that very slow and, and chopped... Um, phenomena is important to any, not any, because of course southern rap doesn't have to do that, but that's important in placing it geographically because that very much is a feeling, um, and I think that very much is a southern thing. Uh, and there are these very heavy samples too, and a lot in a lot of the the verses and narratives are um, street and game focused, so to speak, to use their language. Uh, they are. You know kind of street prophet-esque stuff a la Nas and ilmatic um you're getting these visions of places around houston around port arthur um and you have pimp c who's making basically the beats here and is really not the hype man but a very aggressive voice um a very like battle rap-esque voice and bun b who's Voice is thunderous, and I've seen in some reviews is like he's the voice of God in the equation, and that's kind of true. It's this very deep and commanding vocal style, um, very thunderous. But he's also more the philosophical one, like kind of the old man sitting on the porch and just observing, and like, look, I've made the mistakes, youngster. Now listen to me. Um, so that uh, that uh, juxtaposition, I guess, is, is always interesting to me throughout the album and the album starts with one day as i mentioned which is a very soulful and considerate really tune the the chorus on that is one day you're here next you're gone um and everything that follows are sort of ruminations on well how do you spell how do you spend those days um what do you do before you're gone how um you know how do you make it worth it how do you stay out of jail how do you stay um you know, how do you keep the ones you love? How do you avoid dying? Um, it's a very serious album in that way, a very somber one. Um, but it ends with song Riding Dirty, which is another sort of exuberant, more soulful one. And to me, it sounds like a perfect driving song, really, which, you know, I don't know Texas well at all, but it seems to me one of those states states with cities that you drive around. lot um and that just like cruising is sort of important to the identity um and that's very much the feeling i get here and that song ends again with uh you know connecting where they're from to all these different places around the country um pennsylvania makes its way in there which always makes me happy and then california um miami um california's in there florida in general the carolinas Um, It ends with all of the southern states, which I think is important, too, that we're kind of winnowing down to this geographical location. Um, But again, the the thesis of that, as it were, is that everyone from all of these places is riding dirty, and we're doing the same, um, and that there's a lot more connects us than doesn't. And I'll add, too, that there's a song on here, Touched, that has a verse that Jay-Z just straight up takes on... 99 problems. Um, I don't know if that's done as like respect or as a dig or what, but um Bunby delivers a verse that you may hear and think, I know that, but it's not from this. Um, so again, this is a group that is uh, important beyond, I think, their popular recognition, especially in, in 96, that was the case and Riding Dirty in general is, um, I think it'll sound familiar to a lot of people to that sort of G-Funk mentality or to that hardcore street rap of New York, Um, but given a very distinct, soulful, bluesy, and very slowed Southern vibe to it. um, It's music that's great for driving and cruising um, and has the same kind of narrative mentality that outcast does in the nineties in particular, and that you're getting these visions of the street of people real and made up, um, that really illustrate what it's like to live in this particular place and riding dirty in general, uh, an attempt to say, you know, like Clem and I, we got something to say too. And it's just as important and relevant and similar as any of these other places that we're going to name drop in, in all of these songs. Um, Anything, I don't know, I know this one, <clears throat> this isn't one you've heard, Tim, but anything you, any questions you have, things you want to say? Do you want to hear more about Riding Dirty?
1: Um, I was just sort of listening for, for your general, like, Texas thoughts, so that was where my where my head was, and I did look up, because again, Texas is not my area of expertise either, um, but that idea of, of cruising, well, if you get to Houston from Port Arthur, apparently it's like 90 miles, which... Again, that sounds like a lot to me, but for Texas, I imagine people go further to get groceries. <laughs> like, I'm sure, but like the idea of like having to to go somewhere and and you know, get in the car and like drive it out is is kind of an important thing. It would have to be.
0: I mean, that state is huge, and that's actually farther between the two than I even realized. Um it's the same distance from Milwaukee to Chicago, pretty much. So I know that drive. Um, but also, yeah, it's so big that if you want to get anywhere around it, you have to. And I think the cities, like a lot of the southern ones, just sprawl. Um, again, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but that's from my random obsession with studying maps. That's my.
1: They sprawl. Uh,
0: take away that these cities are just huge and sprawling and go everywhere, and, like, they're not walkable. <laughs> like, you're not uh, walking or biking around them in the same way that you will New York, Chicago, Philly, northern places. Um, and I think... Right, you get the locale in that way, and also Houston is such a particular and important sound that now is spread way beyond it, but in the 90s, that chopped and screwed vision. Um, I should say, too, that this is sort of the, like, not the beginnings of it, but, I don't know, I think the first major place for lean, which you may know as syrup or purple drink, depending on which little Wayne song you listen to. Yeah, <laughs> Tim.
1: Or you may know as the literal first question I ever got as a teacher when I was drinking my tea out of a purple water bottle, and literally the first thing a child ever asked me as a professional teacher was, "You getting lean?" And well, that's that—that's my experience anyway.
0: Well, next time you get that question, you can say no, but I do listen to UGK,
1: <laughs> and they'll say who.
0: God, you're old. Um, Right, so the codeine drink mix, basically, is what we're talking about, which is... I mean, that's what it
1: is. (laughs) No, but when you say codeine drink mix, I just have... Like, I have this vision of, like, there's the Kool-Aid man and there's the codeine man. And I just have a very strong mental image of, like, a large pill popping through a wall. I don't... we can talk about something else. <laughs> I think the coding man doesn't have the energy
0: to quite burst through the wall, but just like <laughs> slowly slinks through the door. lunges
1: um, against <laughs> one, maybe.
0: Right, but this, like, the effect of this drug is a very slow down. It's a very much a downer thing. Um, so that often gets put with the chopped and screwed vision, where it is this very slow and syrupy and... Um, a deliberate, kind of hazy thing at times. Um, <clears throat> Pimpsey has said that he was based mostly on marijuana when making the song, so um, it's not exactly lean-inspired, um, but that lean comes up in Houston, really, and then spreads is kind of also important to this sonic template that the Houston scene is giving us. Um, and and Dirty is kind of the, I think the masterpiece of that, moment of that scene of that region for this this 90s era um but let's shoot all the way i don't know probably just a couple hundred miles i don't know how <clears throat> big louisiana is tim me. um we're gonna move to new orleans which is another hub with a very different vision from Houston. It is not slow. It is not chopped. It is not screwed. It is not 60 or 70 RPM. It's going to be closer to whatever Miami had going on. Um, It's club music inspired. And the thing here is bounce. And I'm checking Tim's face to see if he sees how far they are apart. And I believe he does now.
1: Uh, A little over 250 miles, about a four hour drive. (laughs)
0: Called it. <laughs> um, I may not know how far apart cities in Texas are, but <laughs> from Texas to other places that I can do bounce, kind of an electro drum type music, and very call and response oriented. Um, I don't know a ton about bounce. I know enough to introduce it there and like talk about how juvenile is going to fit into that, but it is this kind of very raucous and party oriented kind of club music. Mm-hmm. And it, it has, I mean, New Orleans, this is where Mardi Gras is. It seems kind of perfect for that scene for Bourbon Street for uh, it's a bunch of people together and you want to build this community and just kind of party and have fun and that's bounce. Um, and it's very bouncy as the name would suggest. It, it gets you shimmying gets get your shoulders shaking and get you dancing. Um, but you can, you can go back yourself and listen to old bounce tunes. Um, but let's talk about Juvenile's 400 Degrees. And to get there, let's also say that New Orleans is home to both Cash Money and No Limit Records. Um, no Limit led by Master P, uh, he of Make Them Say Uh, which, immortal track, I think. Um, But these are two record companies that are honestly more famous for their business acumen and their business deals. Um, They got incredible deals for their artists. And New Orleans is home to both of those. No Limit led by Master P and Cash Money, which is what Juvenile's on, led by uh, Birdman, uh, Baby. And I just want to say that, that kind of weirdly New Orleans has like this... Two record companies that rival what uh, what the Wu Tang Clan managed with theirs. Um, so I don't. Maybe we should think about New Orleans as like the like the hip hop business magnet center. But we're gonna think about it here as uh, bounce and how 400 Degrees kind of builds on that and takes it forward into actual hip hop realm. And I mentioned earlier that there was another CD that back in the day, pre-streaming, um, that I got off the virtues of one song and that was 400 degrees. And that was because of back that ass up, um, because I was a white kid from the suburbs. So of course, um, did not like the rest of it at the time. It took me a lot of time to appreciate what's going on here, but I'm, I'm to a place now where I, I, I appreciate this album and think it's, um, I think it's, re- it's good. It's really good. Um, It still kind of eludes me in certain ways that it always will, because it's made by uh, a bunch of artists who came from the projects in New Orleans, and that is not an experience I have, Um, but it's something that musically um, I've come around to a lot more, and the kind of tension of it, I think you get in the first single and the first song on it, Ha, which in my listening, is the only hip-hop song composed, the only song, I think, composed entirely in second person, uh, and also has such an antagonistic relationship to flows and beats that we would expect. Manny Fresh is making basically all the beats at this point for Cash Money, um, and he and Juvenile have a special relationship, because they're able to pull some stuff off that just no one else can. And this is where Jay-Z comes up on another album today, because there's two remixes of Ha actually, and Jay-Z shows up on one, and for as good as he is, and I think I've given him a lot of flack through these episodes for some reason, but... Um, as good as he is like this is just not for him um but juvenile can dominate these these beats in a way that really no one else can um some of the other hot boys who are also on no limit records and who juvenile is a member of can little wayne is part of hot boys and he's showing up here when he's like 18 or 19 or something stupid um so this is pre the carter little wayne um But you can hear him here kind of developing his voice, and uh, BG is able to do some stuff uh, across the songs, but really this is the Juvenile Show. And Tim, I'm sad that I don't have a Japanese band called Boris for you this episode, Uh, but I do have uh, an MC who sounds like an old man named Boris, Mm. and that is Juvenile, who I think is like 24 or 25 when this album comes out. He's not that old may have been even younger even um but he has such an old man voice and it's hilarious and also really compelling at the same time Uh, it lends this very kind of smoky and bluesy aspect to everything and this very weathered and knowing uh, kind of wisdom to what is honestly cheap sounding music and i don't mean that in totally a bad way but It's a lot of 808s and they sound really tinny at times. There's a lot of just like cheap and elastic sounding like bass and synth parts. Um, And there's not like a ton going on besides that. There's not a bunch of live instrumentation like Pimp C is working with or like Outkast is working with. Um, It's stuff that sounds like you made it on your computer and like GarageBand or something. that doesn't take away from its power or from its um, vitality, but like that's very much the sound of it. If you just sit and start listening to the beach, you're like, huh, this sounds like not like what I would expect from Cash Money Records, which has this big distribution deal right now. Um, but I think that's perfect for taking this legacy of Bounce in New Orleans, moving it into... To create this uh, further region of southern hip hop, and to keep that kind of legacy, let you know. Let's think about what I said about bounce again, and about Mardi Gras, and about New Orleans in general. What we know of it, that there is this very fun and jubilant veneer to it, but that can be a really cheap facade, especially if you're thinking about it as like a destination city, but you're really only thinking of, say, the French Quarter, um, juvenile. All the hot boys, uh, big timers who are on this, um, they all grew up in very hard project portions of New Orleans, uh, and those are these depressed and, and despairing neighborhoods in a city that are completely glossed over, I think, in the popular consciousness by, oh, this is like the ultimate party and drinking city. So there is like this cheap thrill facade to it all, and this really gritty... Uh, underbelly, underside to the city itself. And I think what Manny Fresh is making, uh, and when put in conjunction with Juvenile's lyrics, which, you know, UGK is, is, can be a very serious and hard listen, but Juvenile can be downright nihilistic at points. Um, these are very much songs that are just concerned with I need the next paycheck to like pay the rent or to pay a bill and just to get through. Uh, in scenes of just getting through the city and trying not to get shot, like that's sort of the level that we're at for a lot of these. But that's happening within this very raucous and like kind of moving and almost joyful tunes. Um, it's this really weird and, and not weird, but really harsh um, juxtaposition when you really break down into it lyrically and think about, you know, there's these party-oriented kind of cheap beats to it, but cheap in a weaponized way. And then when you really dig into Juvenile's lyrics in particular, it's like, like this does not fit the bounce mentality that you might be expecting. But this is setting up what New Orleans can really do, um, what New Orleans can be about, what New Orleans is going to say. Um and again, I think that Juvenile sounds like such an old man, really lends to that as well. That it just, it, it adds a different quality to it, that this is the wizened and hardened veteran. Like, I've been through this all, I know what it is. Um, you know, listen up. You know, that said, as harsh as it can be, as uh, depressing as Juvenile can be, and even you get stuff like Floss in Season or Follow Me Now, um, or Welcome to the Nolia, um, that are just really upbeat That kind of get your shoulders shaking regardless Um, and you can really just inhabit those grooves even though if you dig into them they can sound kind of cheap and tinny even though if you listen to juvenile closely it gets really harsh Um, kind of despite yourself you find yourself bouncing Um, and i think the key to all of this um, and what really brings what really allows juvenile to inhabit these these beats in a way that Jay-Z can't, that really no one else on the album can, that the big timers can, who are part of the same label, part of the same region and legacy, and even they seem out of sorts in some of these beats. Um, is that Juvenile has this vocal bounce quality, so the music itself isn't so much bounce as Juvenile is able to do that, where he kind of becomes this one-man call and response, where he's able to, where other rappers uh Leave these kind of odd gaps in the beats because they can't quite fill them otherwise. Juvenile has figured out how to keep his flow, how to um, sort of ignore traditional 16 bar structure and go above or below that at will, um, and kind of fill in those spaces with his own kind of call and response. So, Ha, which is this really disorienting song at first and one that took me a long several listens to finally get into. I was watching you, Tim, when I was playing for it, and I noticed on the chorus you kind of started like bobbing a little bit. But the verses on that are really hard to figure out and really hard to get around at first. And it takes a while, because it's bucking pretty much anything we'd expect. And the only reason it works is because he's able to fill it in with, you know, I keep saying ha. The na- the song is H-A, but it, it doesn't sound like ha when he says it, and it doesn't sound like huh, but it sounds like something in between those. <laughs> um and it's meant as this kind of punctuation to a bunch of second-person questions. So it's just this really unique vocabulary again, like in in what Outcast is doing, and uh, this sort of necessary punctuation that is this response to the call of the question, and like filling in with those gaps is what makes the the rhymes actually work in those beats. And, you know, I've been talking a lot about Ha, but I think it's the best illustration of what's happening there and and what Juvenile is really setting up and how he's taking that New Orleans legacy forward and and making that into its own hip hop scene, which, again, has resonances with stuff you'll recognize. These are very uh, hardcore street focused narratives from most of these these rappers, um, but places it within a particular southern scene. Um, Places it within the spirit of New Orleans, I think, and within the musical legacy. And I'll say to Juvenile, Big Boy, Andre, Bunby, Pimp C, four really interesting and unique voices, um, philosophically and literally juvenile has by far the most distinct i think um there's just a, a huge drawl uh, to his voice and he's, he's not afraid to to use that and he's not at all hiding that um i think that lends to the southernness of it all as well this is a voice that you immediately recognize as ha this is from a very distinct place and i should figure out where that is to understand more about this um Yeah, I think that's about all I have for juvenile, um, or for 400 degrees in general. Any, anything you want to hear, Tim? Any, any questions? Do you remember Back That Ass Up? Was that something you encountered, or was that not part of your household, which I wouldn't be surprised by?
1: Uh, the answer is both, in that I do remember that, and it was not part of my household. Um, no, I didn't, I don't, I don't think I, I need further, uh, further explication. I'm, I'm. Good to go with the spiel and then lay down a decision.
0: The spiel, let's do it. Let me ask you though, without getting into specific yet, is this one that you have you've made up your mind already, or am I like able to swing you either way?
1: I feel pretty good about where I am. I don't I don't know. Maybe if you say something, I don't know, like eleven out of ten profound. Here, I could I might get swept, but I I feel pretty good.
0: Right, I was just curious, that's not going to, like, I have the same spiel in mind anyway. So, Clem and I, number 21 on the spin list, as I mentioned far too low, uh, Outkast's best album, I'm not alone at all in saying that, uh, <clears throat> is this really just incredible vision of what Outkast wanted to do, what they were capable of, and really this, this high watermark in... Atlanta hip hop um, that I think is kind of a culmination of what's happening in the 90s and really sets Atlanta forward as it's going to be the central hub of rap music for a long time um, and outcast as part of and probably leading the vanguard of Southern hip hop in general. Um, they're the ones who say the South has something to say and they're the ones who deliver the goods most resoundingly. But there's more than Atlanta to Southern hip-hop. There are other scenes, and I've introduced to Tim for consideration uh, UGK from Houston-ish, from Port Arthur, Texas, but building on this Houston rap scene in their 1996 album, Ride and Dirty, um, which takes this chopped and screwed Houston vision, these very slow... Uh, <clears throat> And deliberate and syrupy beats that are building on kind of the harshness of G Funk, or the hardness rather, not the harshness. They're actually pretty kind of warm and inviting uh, songs. And and filling those out with this kind of rugged bravado and southern soul um, that I think is important to Texas. And this is music that is perfect for cruising, for driving, which, as we discussed, we both assess Texas to be. These are huge, sprawling cities um, that. You, you need your cars to get around, and even the travel from Port Arthur to Houston, just getting places. Um, they are these slow cruising, kind of soulful visions of that. Um, and I've offered Juveniles 400 Degrees, came out in 1998, and I think a high point of New Orleans hip hop, which is building on bounce music, it's very call and response and club oriented, joyful music, really. and. 400 Degrees' ability to take that and make that sound cheap in a very powerful way, um, as in the the shiny veneer of New Orleans, the the Mardi Gras, the French Quarter, the Bourbon Street associations that those of us not from there have of it, that it is this party city. Um, but then Juvenile, in his very distinct and drawled and old man voice kind of way, Um is able to bring to that these visions of the uh, the hard and depressed underbelly of that all. So you get this powerful juxtaposition of the cheap thrills of the city with the reality of it um, that can be downright depressing at times. Um, <clears throat> and despite all that, you're still bouncing the whole way. This is really compulsive music that kind of gets you going despite yourself. Uh, so, and there's more to Southern hip hop, of course, but I've offered those two for Tim in our, uh, South's got something to say category and I will turn it over to him. I'm interested where he goes with this.
1: So this was one where I was trying to think of it largely in terms of the original album again. And what I think, what I think that South's got something to say idea goes with, um, And I don't know, I don't usually, or always, I should say, uh, try to tie those two together. But here I felt like there was a a clear connection. And and Equem does a really good job of suggesting a South that is lived in and personal and, like, for people who are from there while at the same time kind of, like, I don't know, being accessible to people who aren't from there, but also it's not necessarily what you expect. So it's not like atlanta the flashy party city or you know the center of all the you know historical moments like that's there but there's also a fair bit of like south downtown is a tough place to be not that that's where like those two are from but like there are differently like parts of parts of the city that are you know not for tourists to come around and like hang out um So for that, I kind of think I got to go with 400 degrees here. And the reason why is because I feel like it does a really nice job is, and again, I haven't listened to these, but I'm taking your word for it. It does a good job of, of noting that this is a place where people live and there is a culture of the people who live there and work there and struggle there, which is sort of separate from the perspective of, Let's send our cameras to Mardi Gras and then kind of ignore the city um, unless something like Katrina happens, honestly. Because that sort of seems to be what New Orleans is in a lot of ways. Like, for a lot of people, it's a place that I think they imagine exists for about a week at a time or whenever there's a Saints game on. And and then afterwards, it's it's sort of forgotten about. And I feel like, from what you're saying, Juvenile is is expressing no, there is something here. There is a beating heart here. There is a, a musical culture here that exists 52 weeks out of the year and that he is sort of pulling out in a way that's that's meaningful.
0: I think that's right. And I was thinking that while I was listening to these, while I was writing notes, while I was preparing, uh, <clears throat> you know, my observation is my spiels that um, as good as as Riding right Dirty is at presenting what is a thriving scene um, and really making that knowable and comparable. Um, I don't think, right, there are a lot of conceptions about Texas in general, but about Houston in particular, I don't know kind of what we're wrestling with is like this is the distinctly Houston thing. Um, I don't mean that in a bad or good way, but also there's such a... Influential sound coming out of there as well. The ride and dirty is really a chance to look at that too, as an establishment of here's what we are, who we are, um, <clears throat> and that's going to be really influential going forward. Whereas juvenile is wrestling more with misconception, I think, and even in the video for Ha, which I talked about a lot, um, that's set in front of I think it's Magnolia Park, kind of a famous project in the city, and um, I think that's right anyway. But it, and it's It's there the whole time. There's a confrontation to that. There's a harshness to that. There's a this is New Orleans. Um, It's not just the one street that you're thinking of or the fancy French houses like this is the lived in New Orleans that we know um, and that we 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 grew up in and that there's a lot more here. There's a lot more history and legacy here than, um, you know, tourists getting drunk on Mardi Gras and throwing beads, really. that there is a lot more to overturn in terms of misconceptions. And I think that's true of 400 degrees. So I, I do think both are really good visions of what particular regions were able to do with their hip hop. And in this really uh, fertile mid to late nineties moment, especially for Southern hip hop, again, Ride and Dirty comes out in 96, Aquamanai and 400 degrees are both 98. So these are happening very close to each other. Um, but you get three distinct visions, uh, three distinct locales, I think, that are all building to the larger point that, yeah, the South has a lot of good stuff here. Um, so all of that to say, that make, that makes sense to me, where, where you came down on that, and I, I think that's right. And um, yeah, that 400 Degrees is a lot more than back that ass up, which is the realization I have come to, and to understand that even that song is a lot deeper than it seems, that it's not just this kind of uh, party song that you can pass off, but that there's a lot more happening there and that juvenile is a lot more clever and uh, observational than you might expect. Um, so yeah, anything else you want to say about these Tim?
1: No, I think I think I have I have some more listening to do. after the the triumph of Mars Volta um, last week <laughs> trying to get me to listen to some of that. Uh, I think I think I probably need to go listen to some juvenile between now and the, the next time we talk.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it is a fun listen. So I, I I don't know if it'll speak to you in the same way as the Mars Volta but hopefully it's a fun listen. Um, I'll be interested at the end of this if we like do a sort of short list of like things we were most interested to find out about from the other person. That could be interesting.
1: Gonna write that down too.
0: <laughs> there you go. Anyway, uh, Aquemini number 21 on the spin list, uh, Outcasts' masterpiece of an album. And the theme today was the South's got something to say. And I presented to Tim UGK's Riding Dirty. Um, and it's Houston <laughs> Legacy and Juvenile's 400 Degrees as uh, this exemplar of New Orleans and Tim has gone with Juvenile's 400 Degrees. Thank you for listening. Um, if you want to check out more about us, more about other stuff that we write, more about us as people, see what I'm up to on Spotify, read on Tim's letterbox, and catch up on past episodes of our podcast, please go to subtitlespodcast.com. Uh, You can see everything that you'd want to know about us, about our other work, and past episodes of this. And stay tuned for part two of this episode, where Tim will be talking about something that has, I think, nothing to do with Southern hip-hop, but should be interesting in its own right, uh, and that will be The Apartment.